take hormonal contraceptions, you get a bleed every 28 days fixed, right? <laughs> We're done. <laughs> <laughs> but the challenge is that that bleed is not an actual true menstrual period. So a true menstrual period requires ovulation. And I, as I mentioned, the primary mode of action for most hormonal contraceptives is to suppress ovulation. And so the problem, the metabolic issue, the insulin resistance, the glucose intolerance, the inflammation is still there in the background. So another analogy of that is like if you have a grease fire in the kitchen, I use this in the book, and then you know, the fire alarm is going off and you take out the batteries. So again, like fixed, good. Or is it, right? Mm. So the challenge then again is like, well, the doctors will say, well, if you have PCOS, we'll just put you on the pill. It'll regulate your cycle. And then when you want to have a baby, come back and we'll give you Coleman, we'll make you ovulate and stuff like that. But really, they're not telling you that this is your, if you're, you know, this is why I refer to the menstrual cycle as a vital sign. If we fix the issue, the period, the cycle will go back to a normal range. And, and that's the part that we miss. Welcome to the Win at Life podcast, a place where we share everything you need to know about restoring your metabolism so you can break free from restrictive diets and build a body and life you love. I'm Kitty Bloomfield, co-founder of New Strength and your host for this episode. Today, I'm joined by the author of The Fifth Vital Sign, Lisa Hendrickson-Jack. If you're a woman and you haven't read this book, I highly recommend you read it. Prior to finding Ray Pete, Emma Skorakis, my now business partner, and Craig, I suffered with painful and irregular periods, PMS, I had a miscarriage, a DNC, polyps, and I had precancerous cells removed from my cervix. If you followed me for a while, you'll also know I cycled through low-calorie diets, excessive exercising, and I was a big binge drinker for 17 years of my life. I also took the pill for many years, and I just had no idea what hormonal contraception was doing to my body. The book is so easy to read and contains invaluable information around taking charge of your menstrual cycle and how menstrual cycle health really is the fifth vital sign for women. The majority of women that come to me want to lose weight and change the outside without realizing how important it is to build a solid foundation, which includes having a healthy menstrual cycle. In this episode, we chat about the dangers of hormonal contraception, the myths around hormonal contraception and the pill how the pill suppresses ovulation and why this is a problem, why having a regular and ovulatory cycle is so important, why nutrition is important for the menstrual cycle and reproductive health, body fat levels and health, over-exercising and how it affects the menstrual cycle, what is a healthy menstrual cycle, how toxins in common beauty products can impact your hormones and more. So once you've listened to this episode, I'd love for you to leave a review on Apple Podcasts and let me know what you liked most. And as always, take a screenshot and share your biggest takeaways on Instagram stories and tag me at K-I-T-T-Y-B-L-O-M-F-I-E-L-D so we can spread the word and free other women from restrictive diets. Hi, Lisa. Thank you so much for coming on the Win at Life podcast. I just love your book, The Fifth Vital Sign, and I recommend it to all of the women in our program to read. And I just think it's such a wealth of information. And I love it also, like I was telling you, because so much of the nutrition advice that you give in it aligns with what we teach women in our program, like eating the liver and shellfish and all this beautiful nutrient-dense foods and actually eating more foods. So, yeah, welcome and thank you. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited. Ah, so I thought maybe because I've just got so many questions to ask you because I think you're just a wealth of information, but perhaps we could start with um, the dangers of hormonal contraception because I, for many years, like so many women that join my program, I took the pill for years and years and years just thinking, oh, this is so great, you know, I've got no period, you know, I, I and in a way I guess 
sort of, I should probably take some ownership because I just believe what the doctor told me and didn't do any further research into, you know, what was happening in my body when I didn't get a period or I didn't ovulate. Um, so yeah, could we start there and talk about hormonal contraception? Yeah, I mean, it's a big topic. And I think a good place to start is by dispelling some of the myths. I think that I know when I was growing up, I was taught that the pill, it makes your body tricks your body into thinking that you're pregnant, or the doctors always say that it regulates your period. And so it doesn't do either thing. What it does is it actually shuts down the conversation that is supposed to happen between the hypothalamus, pituitary and ovaries. And so it the primary um, mode of action is actually to suppress ovulation. And so I love, you know, teaching with analogies. And so it's like, if you have a leaky pipe, the pill shuts the pipe off. <laughs> and so when you turn the pipe on, there's still a leak because you didn't fix a leak. And so this is one of the challenges for women who take hormonal contraception, especially if they're taking it for a specific kind of health related issue. So if you have irregular periods, if your periods have stopped, like in the case of HA, hypothalamic amenorrhea, or if you have some sort of you know, issue, painful periods and things like that, you can certainly get relief of the symptoms. So, you know, I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with having relief of symptoms that you don't want, but uh, what happens when you want to have a baby? What happens mm. when, you know, you come off of it? And even that in and of itself is, is a, a bit of a topic as well, because it assumes that the only time it matters for us to have a healthy cycle <laughs> is when we want to have a baby. And so I think the first, first thing about hormonal contraceptives to know is that although it's used as treatment for basically anything related to periods, it doesn't actually fix the underlying issue. And so one of the challenges, so in the example of uh, irregular periods, let's say a woman has PCOS and uh, PCOS is characterized by insulin resistance, glucose intolerance, and inflammation. And women with PCOS have a, you know, 50% increased risk, lifetime risk of developing type two diabetes. So it's an issue of metabolism. It's a metabolic disorder. So, you know, it manifests itself. So it disrupts ovulation. And that's why we see the long regular cycles. So if we take hormonal contraceptions, right, you get a bleed every 28 days fixed, right? <laughs> We're done. <laughs> but the challenge is that that bleed is not an actual true menstrual period. So a true menstrual period will requires ovulation. And I, as I mentioned, the primary mode of action for most hormonal contraceptives is to suppress ovulation. And so the problem, the metabolic issue, the insulin resistance, the glucose intolerance, the inflammation is still there in the background. Mm -hmm. um, so another analogy of that is like, if you have a grease fire in the kitchen, I use this in the book, and then, you know, the fire alarm is going off and you take off, take out the batteries. <laughs> so again, like fixed, <laughs> good. <laughs> or is it right? Mm. So the challenge then again, is like, well, the doctors will say, well, if you have PCOS, we'll just put you on the pill, it'll regulate your cycle. And then when you want to have a baby, come back and we'll give you Clomid and we'll make you ovulate and stuff like that. But really, you know, they're not telling you that this is your if you're, you know, this is why I refer to the menstrual cycle as a vital sign. If we fix the issue, the period, the cycle will go back to a normal range. And, and that's the part that we miss. It's actually possible to normalize those cycles by making certain changes if we have the right support. And I just love that so much because we just get so many women come into our program with lots of metabolic issues, you know, they have fatigue, their cycles are regular, menopausal symptoms. And I even know myself prior to finding, and we spoke about that our nutrition approach is inspired by the work of Dr. Ray Pete um, and my business partner. And I remember finding her and 
I had painful and irregular cycles. I had a miscarriage. I had polyps removed. They did a DNC. I had all these precancerous cells removed from my cervix, all of these issues. Um, but I guess I'd never really linked it to the fact that I constantly starved myself. <laughs> you know, I would do these low calorie diets. I would train every single day. You know, I wasn't eating any of these beautiful nutrient dense foods that we talked about. Um, and then once I met Emma and started eating more consistently, not exercising as much, getting more sun, you know, cutting back my alcohol consumption. So I used to be a big drinker too. Um, one of the things that improved relatively quickly was my cycle became regular and it wasn't heavy anymore and there was no more cramping. Um, and you're so right. You know, it's like, it really is a, I guess it's like a bit of a insight, isn't it? Into, as a woman into your health. Um, and I think that so, and I'm sure the women that you work with too, probably, and I think it's just common for a lot of women, they just do these crazy restricted diets. Yeah. Well, and one thing I'll say, like it, I've, I've been saying, like, it seems like it's a, a trend. Uh, mm. I'm sure, I don't know if it is or if it isn't, but certainly I've been seeing more of just certain things in my, in my practice. And so if you're charting your cycle, so if you're, mm. well, let me flip around. If you're on birth control and doing what you um, described, so, mm. you know, working out a ton, eating very mm. little, right? Um, then if you're on the pill, you know, some women will continue to just get that monthly withdrawal bleed. Mm. And so it's like, everything's fine. Um, <laughs> some women, I'll just keep saying that, but some women uh, will actually stop getting like, so they'll take their sugar pills and they won't bleed. Right. That's, yeah. But again, they're not necessarily told it's a problem, but if you're not on birth control and you're, you know, tracking your cycle, if you're doing those things and you're, you're mm. consistently exercising and not eating enough to offset the exercise, you will see the signs in your chart. So mm. it can look like delayed ovulation, things like that, you know, long, longer regular cycles, if you're kind of interfering with the ovulatory process. And then after ovulation, you know, that period of time between ovulation and your period, you might notice spotting and mm. a shorter luteal phase and all these kinds of things. You may not notice it, or you might just think it's normal. So I've mm. worked with a growing number of women who have all this bleeding, you know, they have all this spotting before yeah. their period start. And they, they kind of like a lot of like, I've heard these stories, like, I have, you know, 10 days of spotting <laughs> before my period and I've had it for the last two years and no one jumped in and said, look, you know, and, and the irony from my perspective, of course, is that mm. it's not hard to fix Yeah, when you are starting yourself basically and exercising all the time. So let me give another analogy, you know, and this is a very gendered, you know, stereotypical analogy. <laughs> when men work out, they're trying to bulk up, obviously. Mm. So what do they do? They, you know take protein shakes, they eat more food, they buy all this beef, right? <laughs> this is what they do. When women work out, we're trying to lean up. Like we're not obviously <laughs> not yeah. trying to bulk. So we're trying to lose weight. So what do we do? We eat either less food or the same amount of food as we ate before. And mm. it's the exact opposite thing that you should do. And so the, the reason that I love menstrual cycle charting is because it's like a dial into reality right here. You can't, mm. if you're actually paying attention to it and you understand what a normal cycle looks like and what some of these signs can mean, then I like it's it's part of it's kind of the easiest part of my job. The hardest part of my job is to teach you the intricacies of charting. And yeah, yeah. Chart, and the chart speaks for itself. So when I have a situation of like you're not eating enough food, mm. you're skipping coffee's breakfast, right? So you're skipping. Oh breakfast. my goodness, we talk about that all the time. I've done a million reels about stop drinking, <laughs> and I do the same. Doing. Yeah, this get is up like, faster. What's happening for women? Black coffee. World. Train. Yeah. Yeah. Responsibilities. We have work yeah. responsibilities. We don't have time for breakfast. Coffee. Yeah. 
even if you don't realize it, coffee is an appetite suppressant. And so when you drink that coffee for breakfast, that's why you're not having breakfast because the coffee suppresses your appetite. So it's not mm. even about anti-coffee. It's like, do you know what this is doing to your body? So you skip breakfast. And do you know any woman who eats lunch and dinner to the equivalent of three full meals? No. So you just miss the meal. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> and then you're going about your day and then you're working out, you know, four times a week, right? Because you need the beach body. I have it on my computer too. I am with you. But <laughs> my point is that when I'm working with someone and then you see these cycle issues, the spotting, mm -hmm. the short luteal phase, the PMS, that's ridiculous, the mood swings, etc. And I suggest that you eat breakfast. <laughs> I suggest that you eat sufficient protein. Eat some carbs. Yeah. yeah, right. Yeah. Like actually balance those macros so we can yeah. get the blood sugar balance get yeah protein oh you preach you did the choir here lisa right? i love it i love oh. hearing this so good <laughs> but then what happens right so then i mean because what i always say about charting is i can have all these opinions but my opinion doesn't matter so mm -hmm. the following cycle when mm -hmm. for the first time in a year and a half you have one day of spotting instead of 12 and you look at me and you're like well wow all i did was you know add more food yeah uh, could could that have done it and i say yes yeah, it, it really like I remember when I was learning all about this when I w was working with Emma and, you know, we were talking about it and and she was sort of saying to me, you know, Kitty, like just think about your body. It's it's built to survive. So, you know, like if you drastically cut calories and do a heap of cardio, your body's going to go, okay, cool. I don't need to ovulate for you to survive. So this is not a good time to make a baby. So I am going to stop that and just help you survive. And I'm like, ah, oh, that makes so much sense. You know, like pregnancy is a big process. It's energy intensive, isn't it? Like your body isn't going to want you to fall pregnant when it's in a famine, when you're not eating enough food. Yeah. Well, if you can't even sustain your own self, mm. then how could you sustain, you know? And so, you know, even back to the point of, should we care if we're not trying to get pregnant? You know, what if, oh yes is yeah it's like I don't actually want to have children ever so why why does this matter to me so you know although there's a lot of women who don't want babies do you want mm. osteoporosis at 25 so mm. if we give the example of HA hypothalamic amenorrhea so that is uh, defined when you haven't ovulated so you haven't ovulated or had a period for a, peri uh, a period of six months or more and mm. you know if you think about what's happening there so HA is class it's categorized by uh, undernutrition, over exercise and stress. So a combination of those three things. And so this is, you know, this fits. So some women they'll exercise a ton and they won't eat that much, but they'll still ovulate. Like their periods might be a little, like their cycles might be a little wonky. They mm -hmm. might have a little, they have some stuff going on, but they're still cycling. Mm -hmm. And then other women take it obviously to the level where they're not like it stops. Mm -hmm. And so in that situation, you know, your lifetime risk of osteoporosis increases significantly because mm -hmm. you're starving. And when you're starving, your body has to kind of figure some stuff out. So it's almost like it starts, you know, using your bones for energy or something like that. I mean, mm -hmm. obviously that's not the scientific explanation, but mm -hmm. it's like eating itself. Like, why is it that the bones are disintegrating? Mm -hmm. Yep. Right? Yeah, absolutely. So, right. Like, so it, this is, uh, this is why, again, the menstrual cycle is a sign of health, you know, because it's, it's responding to what's happening in the body. So mm. a woman of reproductive age should have an ovulatory menstrual cycle. Obviously if she's on birth control, mm. uh, you know, we're, we're not really seeing it to the full effect, but ultimately that's a sign of health and we should all know that it's pretty basic stuff. If you think about it, right. 
It is actually like when I was learning all about this, it's like you think to yourself, how could I have been so stupid for so long? But you just, you're so sucked in. I got so sucked into it. I just wanted to be thin and I was trying to be healthy, like thinking that I was, you know, I cut, I cut sugar, I cut carbs, I cut dairy. It's like I just end up living on bloody air, you know. What's left? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I it's interviewed like, this one woman and she yeah. was like, you didn't hear about the cabbage diet? No, oh. diet. <laughs> I've seriously done everything and fasting too. Now, can you actually just, this made me think, can you talk about then, okay, so because you're right, a lot of women would listen to this and I would have listened to this guy, well, I don't care about having a baby, you know, back then. So can you talk about why ovulation is so important and why progesterone is so important? Well, I mean, absolutely. First and foremost, I think that uh, what we, like if we packaged what we just talked about, mm even before we talk about the benefit, the beneficial impact of having hormones and things like that, mm-hmm. the fact that you're ovulating means that you are, your body is healthy. You're not in a state of famine. You're, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you have a sufficient amount of body fat. So, um, and there's, there's plenty of women who have legitimate, you know, eating disorders or disordered eating patterns who until they gain a certain amount of weight back, they can't, they will not menstruate. Mm-hmm. So, Um, from the most basic level, ovulation is important because, so again, with my analogies, if I go where, you know, if I go to buy a car, I could, I mean, I, this just says how old I am, because I probably couldn't get a car without air conditioning. But you know, if you had a car without air conditioning, it would still work because the air conditioning, it's a machine. So the air conditioning is a separate machine to the engine. And so obviously having one or the other isn't going to affect the functioning. And we have been lied to basically because we've been told that ovulation is only related to having children. And so you kind of think that if you just shut that off, like with birth control, that it doesn't affect the rest of the car, so to speak. And that's wrong because all of our, like, it's all connected. So you know, as women, we're not like an ovaries sold separately kind of situation. Like they Mm -hmm. come with the package and everything functions together. Uh, So just having a regular ovulatory cycle is an integral part of being in a biologically female body. So I'll just Mm -hmm. put that out there. Mm -hmm. And um, I mean, in terms of estrogen and and progesterone and the roles that they play, um, you know, any cycling woman who has kind of paid attention will notice that there is an interplay Uh, between our hormonal cycle and obviously our emotions, our energy, Mm -hmm. our moods, sometimes even obviously our cravings and things like that. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, in the book, and a lot of people talk about the seasons, like comparing the the cycle to the seasons of the year. So Mm -hmm. from that emotional standpoint, your period is like the inner winter, you know, as you um, go into ovulation, it's like the spring, we often have more energy and um, kind of have that more kind of outward facing type of energy around that time. And then when you ovulate, that's when you start producing progesterone. And many of us will find that that's the time when we might start to slow down, kind of like the fall. So the summer would be the ovulation and leading to, um, you know, your period, which is so that kind of emotional changes that take place uh, from the perspective of the menstrual cycle. Um, estrogen is what thickens the uterine lining and builds it up. It's what uh, stimulates our cervical crypts to produce cervical fluid. It's what triggers ovulation. And certainly there's receptors for estrogen all over our bodies and it has impacts on, you know, all, all of the different mm-hmm. functions. One of the things that I talked about in the book is that, uh, you know, disruptions in the menstrual cycle are associated with different cancers. So if you have um, like a long, irregular cycles uh, in a typical healthy menstrual cycle, it lasts about 29 days. And so about half of that time, so like the, you know, 15 days uh, before ovulation or leading up to ovulation, 
Um, and then you have the second part of it. So it's about equal-ish, meaning that you have an equal period of time that you're exposed to high estrogen levels before ovulation and an equal time that you would be exposed to the high progesterone levels after ovulation and estrogen and progesterone play different roles in the body. So estrogen is proliferative. It causes things to grow. That's why we associate with things like cancer and progesterone initially has a proliferative effect, but then an anti-proliferative um, effect and actually it causes the cells to mature. And, you know, so they, mm -hmm. they play these balancing roles. So there's, I mean, there's so much more I could say about it, but to mm -hmm. kind of sum it up when you have a healthy cycle and these things are happening in line with each other, you have mm -hmm. this balancing effect between these hormones, the hormones, you know, they don't determine who we are or anything, but they mm -hmm. certainly have an effect on our moods, our emotions, and all these things. Um, when you're on hormonal birth control, you, there's, there's a lot of other things that are happening. And I think that hormonal contraceptives are a good example of what happens when you interfere with this natural process. Mm -hmm. um, so just so happens that today I posted this thing on my Instagram I posted these questions about birth control, kind of like, have you ever taken it? Have you ever mm -hmm. had side effects? <laughs> and like hundreds of responses, like I can't keep up with them. And, uh, you know, the, the most common side effects women had were anxiety, depression, mm -hmm. low libido, painful sex, um, because we do have receptors for these hormones on our, you know, on our vulva, we do have, you know, receptors mm -hmm. all over the place for all these things. And so when we disrupt it, it really has impacts beyond just whether or not we want to have children otherwise mm -hmm. shutting it down like if you think about it so when we shut down ovulation the, the most common effects are emotional mm -hmm. yeah progesterone is such an amazing hormone you know and you think about like a lot of the women that come to us are so estrogen dominant because of all the dieting you know not getting the right nutrients sluggish liver low thyroid function um or they may not be ovulating so they're not making that amazing progesterone and you actually just, I want to go back something you mentioned before about body fat. So, you know, a lot of women, I think just due to the fitness industry and I've been there myself, really striving for those low levels of body fat. Um, I guess, what have you seen in your practice? You know, what, what would you recommend as a healthy body fat range for, for women? Like what's the lowest that you think is healthy up to, you know, I mean, what's the range? Well, my answer might be a little bit disappointing to be honest, because, mm. well, first and foremost, I think I did list, um, in this, uh, so there was a section in the book where I talked about mm. HA and mm. I talked about mm. the female athlete triad. And there was a study where they kind of proposed a minimum, you know, body fat percentage. And so, you know, forgive mm. me if I get it wrong, but I think it was around 24%. And so they were talking about how, mm. uh, but the thing is it's, there's no number for everybody. Mm. So within every study, you would still find women who at that particular body range, that was kind of the average, mm. uh, you know, haven't yet, you know, so the irony is my answer would be when you have a healthy cycle, mm. like literally. So if you have a certain, like for me, I would, I would, um, and again, this is why my answer might be a bit annoying, but I would aim for a healthy cycle that's not mm. disrupted. Um, so all of these things, from my opinion, are like linked together. So when mm. you talk about progesterone, low progesterone is like a buzzword. You know, mm. everyone's talking about it. And especially because um, from my perspective, mm. there's a lot of things that we can get away with. 
when we're in our 20s. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, I 100% agree. They've done so much stupid shit. Yeah. Well, yeah. So in our 20s, that's mm. when you can't like, because I was a university as a student, right? Like you can <laughs> do the drinking, you can stay up late. Eat fuck all. Yeah. You just, yeah, you can not eat, you can work out, yeah. you can do whatever you yeah. want. You can eat all the sugar. And and I mean, obviously there are effects and there are individual differences, but like you mm. can really kind of torture your body in your 20s mm. and it's okay to some extent, especially if you're on the pill and you don't have your cycle yelling at you, then you can really get away with a lot. Mm. So then when you get into your 30s, it's a bit different. You can still get away with some stuff especially the earlier part of your thirties, I would say the first half, mm. but you can get away with less. All of a sudden yeah. now you do realize you need some sleep. You really yeah. can't function the same way you did. You ate more food. You have like three days of a bender. Like you can't just wake up and go to work. <laughs> so, so it's like, so you realize, but the challenge is that when you get into the late thirties, early forties, that's when it all comes crashing down. If mm. you have been trying to live off of coffee and like work out all the time or whatever, this is when women start gaining weight. This is when they start really noticing those negative effects of having mm. um, just because your body just can't, just can't do it because mm. we're just not 20 anymore. And so that that's where I think that the progesterone conversation comes in. So from my perspective, I think it's, I think this conversation is so interesting. Like there's two mm. main ways from my perspective Mm. Um, and it's not the only ways, but I'm just trying to, I'm simplifying mm. it for the purpose of this conversation, but there's two main ways to raise your progesterone levels. You can figure out what it is you're doing to mm. brew it up, <laughs> or you can just take progesterone. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I find that it's really, really popular. And so I'm not saying it's not, you know, it's bad mm. to take progesterone and all that kind of stuff, but I'm, I find it very, very interesting that this is basically the conversation that's happening for women in mm. the, so the 10 year period before menopause, the pre-menopause period. Um, because when I'm working with clients and this is kind of like across the board, I'm not singling anyone out when women are having issues with their cycles, when it, women are having issues with progesterone, when they're having these types of challenges, mm. there's usually things that they're doing that are causing these problems. And it's not to blame anyone. It's just what it is. We have a lot of responsibilities. We have job responsibilities, family, I think as women against a stereotype, but I think we are caregivers. We just have a lot on our plates and we are not prone to put ourselves first. Mm. You know, every, if you, if, if anyone who's is listening, who's had, you know, children, when the babies are young, they, they always get dinner. Like the children mm. <laughs> always, get breakfast lunch and dinner but mom doesn't right all the time mm. um and so literally like so i mean and it depends on what your life is like and all those kind of things but um if it, if it comes to progesterone i i feel like it's not a secret of the things that need to happen in order to balance your progesterone and balance your cycles you need mm. sleep you need but it sounds so silly but everyone no. who's listening knows yeah. that they need sleep but are yeah. you actually going to bed yeah. before 10 no, yeah. you're not. Like yeah. <laughs> we we know we need to eat three meals a day, but are you actually eating three meals a day? We could talk about intermittent fasting and we mm. talk about the male fitness industry and the so this goes back to your question of like the lean, like what is the percentage of body fat that you recommend? Mm. That comes from us trying to be men, doesn't it? Or am I off base here? No, no, I think, but I also think like it's in, I think it's in, it's fashionable now to, it's that, you know, you look at the body shapes over the decades and like oh, yeah. that really lean muscular look like more muscular lean. I think women are really, um, and I used to be the same striving for that. 
Um, you know, and I think, and obviously this is just an observation from working with women in our program, I've seen probably women like still maintain a regular cycle and good subjective measures and of metabolism, you know, warm body and objective measures probably as low as 22. But I feel like once it gets below that, it's, they sort of start to see issues, but they're better when their body fat's higher. So when it's up above 20, like 25 to 30%, um, they seem to feel pretty good and they're eating lots of food and they can obviously train and support their body in training. But I think it's just that it's the look, you know, women yeah. want to be this lean. I don't know. It's just fashionable. I think, you know, when you go on Instagram and you see all these fitness yeah. models and they're just shredded with heaps well, of muscle. The irony, <laughs> the irony of course is like, like you, you know, when you look like that, I'm the one in the background, like the unpopular one going, well, let me see your menstrual cycle chart. Like when was the last time you had a period? So some of those women who look like that don't menstruate. No. And they have digestive issues and yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, so this is why my answer, like I said, is, is not like, I I think that what you're saying makes a lot of sense based on the research. Cause like I said, Mm. the study that I mentioned Mm. was right around what you're saying. But at the end of the day, what I've seen as well is that mm. there, there's no number that we can say on this podcast that's going to apply to every woman. There are women who actually are great at a, a really low BMI because that's their con- constitution. Mm. Um, and there are women who ca- like absolutely could not menstruate with the same, you know, so there's no mm. answer to this mm. question. But there is an answer for my opinion. Mm. How's the menstrual cycle looking? Because yeah. the menstrual cycle, if you are spotting for several days before your period, if you have, um, so the, the period of time between ovulation and your menstrual cycle in a healthy cycle should be about 12 to 14 days. That's, you know, the luteal phase. Mm-hmm. And so if your luteal phase is like seven days or eight days or nine days, and you have all this bleeding and spotting and et cetera, et cetera, mm-hmm. that means that you need to sort it out. Mm-hmm. So I'm more of and of course, I'm, I'm biased. This is my work. This is what I do. But it is a, a vital sign. We can use it when you are getting enough food. <clears throat> and it doesn't mean you can't work out. But from my experience, when um, so and I work with a lot of women who are trying to get pregnant as well. Mm. And so it's a little different conversation when you're trying to get pregnant. Mm. So when you have the the luteal phase that's too short and the spotting and things like that, mm. that definitely has a negative impact on your chances of conceiving because mm. So from a biological standpoint, so let's go to, you know, back to biology class here, but when you ovulate, mm-hmm. you know, your fimbriae, so that's the, um, the fingers at the end of the fallopian tubes catch the egg, mm-hmm. which is really cool. And then it takes about a week or so for the egg to make it through the fallopian tube. So mm-hmm. the fertilization happens in the tube and the implantation then starts after about a week. And mm-hmm. so the whole process of fertilization implantation takes about two weeks Mm. so if you're trying to get pregnant and you have a eight day luteal phase because you're working Mm. out so much Mm. then it means that when your period is starting and you're starting to have that spotting and all that kind of stuff that's Mm. when the egg is trying to implant and so it literally can implant it's like trying to implant and it's all coming out (sighs) and so so then women in those situations usually especially when they're trying to conceive i'm more kind of like i'm more likely to suggest that you either cut the exercise severely Mm. or you stop Mm. and what happens is when they stop then they start like the luteal phase improves Mm. so for women but it doesn't mean that that's the only way Um, there was this one study that i thought was really really interesting um, that i cited again in the same section about the female athlete triad 
and they had several women who had um they were i call it like olympic level Mm -hmm. (laughs) that's another thing as a like a little tangent because it's like these women sometimes will work out like five days a week heavy heavy intense workouts and they don't think of themselves as an athlete you're an athlete (laughs) you're like olympic level yeah Um, but but i i digress so these women they were working out like six days a week for Mm -hmm. you know and they had all lost their period previously and in the study, what they did is they had these women, but they had worked it like, so they had eating disorder, but then they worked it out. So they had, mm. you know, a plan. And so they were eating their three meals a day. Mm. So in the study, they had them add an additional, it was a meal supplement. So it was a beverage that contained mm. a certain percentage of pr- uh, protein, fat, and carbohydrates. Mm. And they consume that um, every single day. So seven days a week, in addition to the three meals that they ate. Mm. And even on the days they didn't work out, they still had the beverage. And that is what eventually brought all of their periods back. So this is literally just saying that like, when you are working out at an athlete level, mm-hmm. you're going to have to like, you know, one, you're really going to have to um, ensure that you're consuming sufficient protein mm. and mm. fat and carbohydrates. But I feel like protein is a really big um, part of this equation. Yeah, I think we find a lot of women that come to us too, they just under-eat protein and over-eat fat because they don't know, they don't track their food. Uh, they have no idea about, you know, what they're eating. But I agree, the protein's um, so, so critical. Isn't that interesting? Just, and I think, because a lot of women would listen to this go, oh, yeah, but Kitty, I'm not an athlete. But they're still massively <laughs> under-eat. Yeah, they're still. Two hours yeah. away for five days a week. See, I do group programs. And so yeah. like, sometimes I feel like a jerk because I'll say like, <laughs> So, okay, how many women in the class work out that much? So I'm like calling her out, right? So yeah, yeah. At the same yeah. time, it's like someone needs to tell you, not totally. to say like you're not normal and lots of women work out a lot. I'm yeah. not saying anything negative about it. But if you're going to be an athlete, you got to support your body. Athlete, 100%. Sleep like an athlete. Yeah. Don't pretend like you're not an athlete when you're working out athlete level. And that's the problem, I think, like you say, like these women are working. I mean, I used to do the same thing. I get up and I train fasted for two hours a day in the morning, six days a week, you know, and it's just, and you're not eating. So you think, well, of course your body's going to break itself down. You're going to have all this dysfunction. You're going to have these irregular cycles. Like when you, when you actually, I think, come into this realm and you start to think about it, you're like, oh God, this makes actually so much sense. But I think so many women are, and I'm sure you'd get the same, they're just, so scared of gaining weight you know they're just so they can't get their head around the weight and the body fat and I think it's um it's hard but I think you obviously get to I think you get to a point where you're like I can't do it anymore you know I don't want to have a regular cycle because I don't want I want to start sleeping again you know I want to feel good and actually can you can you describe Lisa then because a lot of women like you say they don't understand what a normal cycle is so what can you describe a normal cycle a healthy yeah. normal cycle. <laughs> yes. Well, so to start with a cycle, you know, a lot of times when I talk about the menstrual cycle, women will think their period. So when I say mm. menstrual cycle, I'm referring to the period, but also everything that happens in between until the next one. Mm. And so we are often told that in order for the cycle to be healthy, it has to be 28 days long. And so a range, a healthy range of the cycle can be anywhere from about 24 days to 35 days with an average of about 29 days for a reproductive age woman. And Mm -hmm. it is helpful to know that as we approach menopause, so in those 10 years leading to menopause, menopause 
um, typically starting somewhere between age 50 and 55 on average. So during those 10 years before menopause, often the cycle shortens a bit. So the regular kind of average length of 29 days might be more mm -hmm. like 26 for women mm -hmm. in that 10 year period. So I think that's helpful to know. Mm -hmm. um, so then if I take you through the first day of your cycle is the first day of your period, the first day of your true flow, the period should be anywhere from about three to seven days. Uh, an average about of about five days or so, and there should be a beginning, a middle and an end, and then it should be over. So it's like a sentence. Um, so, you know, when it starts, it should kind of be typically moderate to heavy. So it's like you turn mm -hmm. on a tap, like it flows, and then kind of a crescendo decrescendo pattern, meaning that it kind of gradually stops mm -hmm. um, and should end. Um, although it's very common for women to experience pain, moderate to severe pain is, is not normal because mm. in any other circumstance, we consider that pain as a sign of a problem. So mm. with menstrual pain, it's associated with inflammation and in the you know worst case scenario, something like endometriosis or another kind of pelvic inflammatory issue. Mm. So I think it's also really important to say that out loud because a lot of women are just used to having all the pain. And so they just think it's just a part of life. So then once you get past the period, you're reaching into the pre-ovulatory phase. So this is the part of the cycle where the ovaries are developing the eggs. So the follicles, as they develop, they're making estrogen. Um, so at the beginning of that cycle, from a fertility awareness standpoint, uh, you would expect to have a couple days before you start to see cervical fluid. So we call those dry days. And then um, when you're approaching ovulation, we would expect to see cervical fluid. So that can be like the creamy white hand lotion or raw, clear, stretchy egg whites. Um, kind of so raw egg white kind of com, um, consistency. And we would expect that anywhere from about two, uh, two to seven days or so. And in a healthy cycle, you would ovulate. So you'd have these days of cervical fluid leading up to ovulation. And once you ovulate, it would stop. So you only have the cervical fluid for, you know, like a week, and then it goes away. And then after ovulation, we talked a lot about the second half, the luteal phase. So it should be 12 to 14 days. And ideally, you'd, it would be dry. So no mucus. And also ideally you wouldn't have a ton of bleeding or anything like that. It would actually just be your period would just come when it comes. Mm. Mm. And isn't it amazing? Like I remember going to the doctor and them saying, oh, that's just normal. Like you just got painful periods. It's just, you know, here's the pill, take the pill. It's really quite scary actually that all these women would just be going to see these GPs and they just prescribe them this, the contraception. Well, there's this, study that they did and it was um i believe it took on average eight or nine years in the uk for a woman to be diagnosed with endometriosis mm. from the time so she's literally experiencing pain for like a decade i think in the u.s it was like 12 mm. years mm. um and uh, you know endometriosis is a can be a very serious debilitating disease it's associated with infertility you know it can lead to surgery, multiple surgeries and things like that. And certainly it can be controlled to some extent for many women through reducing inflammation and things like that. Because again, I mentioned, so one of the things I kind of did some research on, mm -hmm. I mean, have you ever wondered like what a period is and like what's happening in the body? So a period is a natural inflammatory reaction and so is um, ovulation and labor. And so in a normal, healthy period, we produce these prostaglandins. And so those are lipids that actually cause smooth muscle contractions. I think most women who have period pain have heard about mm -hmm. prostaglandins, but you have them in a healthy cycle because mm -hmm. they're necessary to help those muscle contractions to actually help you to bleed efficiently so that you can shed the functional layer of your endometrial lining. And so it's interesting, especially for women who have just been sold the lie that it's like normal and 
pain is fine. So when they measure, you know, the blood levels, women who have, um, women who have painful periods have upwards of four times the level of these prostaglandins. Mm. So right there, there's like a scientific piece of information where the actual, um, you know, level of these inflammatory markers is higher in women mm. that have pain. And so we can, mm. you know, so it's not in your head, it's real. Mm. I found this really interesting study. Um, I was actually really upset that morning and there's, <laughs> and it was funny cause I was talking about this in, in my practitioner training program. And one of the um, participants is a midwife. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a way that they actually measure the uterine contractions. Now I didn't know this until I read the study. So when I was talking about this, the midwife was like, yeah, that, that's a thing. Like this is efficient. So anyways, my point of bringing this up was that they measured the difference between the uterine contractions of women in labor compared to women with severe period pain. Mm-hmm. The women in labor, the contractions were somewhere between like 80 to 100 and the, the measurement was like millimeters of mercury. Mm-hmm. And the women who had period pain sometimes was upwards of 400. Wow. Meaning that the women with period pain obviously had like horrific contractions Holy. that were much stronger than the women in labor. And so the, this is why I was mad all day. So then the, the researchers, they were, they could, you know, when they were kind of summing, summing, summing it up, they were kind of like, well, women have told us that they feel that the period pain is worse than the, the labor. And it looks like there could be some validity to that. <laughs> that's insane. That is, in, that is insane. It's funny. Like I was talking, I've talked to lots of women, like friends about having babies. And I was like, what do the contractions feel like? And they're like, oh, really bad period pain. And I'm like, oh, I used to have that years and years ago and I haven't had it for so long. And it just makes you like, that's crazy. Well, I'll tell you a funny story. So when I had my firstborn son, I was in labor all day and I had no idea. I didn't know why, because I was like, this can't be, this can't be contract. Like, <laughs> so eventually I figured it out, but it, and everyone's experience is not like this. Everyone's mm. labor is different. It depends how the baby is facing. So by no means by me sharing my story, am I trying mm. to say that everyone's labor is like this? So I just want to put Mm-mm. that out there. Um, my second labor wasn't exactly like this, but um, my point was that like with the contractions, they serve a purpose, like period mm. pain. What's the point? So they serve a purpose. So they were actually like, there was a contraction. And so there was like a, a serious kind of like, oh, and you could see the stomach like clench. And then so it'd be there for a while and then it would go away. And so, you know, for an entire day, I thought it was just Braxton Hicks. I was like, okay. But then there came a point where they started to come like every 10 minutes. <laughs> like this is happening. <laughs> very consistent. And only then was like, oh, I think this is, I think this is labor. So that's my point. Cause anyone who's had kind of bad period pain, it can be all mm. day and you're just there. Mm. Fuck, that's crazy. And what about, I forgot to ask you about when we're talking about the hormonal contraception, but a lot of women go, oh, yeah, but I've just got the marina or the copper IUD. So can you talk about why that's not great either? Well, the marina is like my favorite because these women are told these things like this is highly sarcastic. They're told that the marina, because it's inserted into the uterus, it's localized. They're told Mm. that the hormone level is low and it stays in the uterus. So explain to me why we even have conversations about endocrine disruptors and like perfume and lotion. Mm. If you put lotion on your skin that has, you know, estrogenic chemicals, we know that it can disrupt our endocrine system. So Mm. putting a hormone releasing device in the uterus 
obviously the progester like the progestins don't stay in the uterus mm. like it drives me wild that doctors say these things to people so so yes we have a circulatory system and you know i'm not to, i'm not saying that there isn't i'm not saying like there are certain things that um the marina has going for it so to speak mm. so for instance like there are women who have obviously you know really horrific reactions to estrogen so there's some women who literally cannot have uh, a synthetic estrogen containing contraceptive um i mean arguably if someone has had a really negative reaction like a stroke or a Mm. a blood clot or you know an embolism or something you know there's an argument to be made that maybe they should just not be on contraceptives at all Mm. Um, but certainly there are situations where the doctors will say, okay, we well, can't have an estrogen containing one and you'll take the progestin containing one. So, you know, there is an argument to be made for that. But with that said, mm. anyone can look up the side effects associated with the Mirena and they're very similar or the Skyla or any of the progestin releasing IUDs. And um, they're very similar to the effects of the combined uh, contraceptives. Mm. Because it's still, a, what I always say is like, there still has to be enough hormone to prevent pregnancy, doesn't there? Mm. I think too, like women, and I get, I get it because for a long time I just buried my head in the sand as well. You know, like you just sort of think, oh, I can't be fucked to deal with this, you know, because I, I, I think like I know when I started changing all my eating and training habits, it's a big, it's like a, this discovery journey because you're really digging deep and like it's like an onion. You're sort of like, why do I want a restricted <laughs> diet so much? And you face all of this internal stuff and like it's hard. It's hard to, you know, you got to start to build new habits and eat more regularly and eat more food. And, you know, it's not, you. I think, you know, it depends on the woman. You do see, I see women have pretty quick improvements, but often it can take months and months even over a year to really, because, you know, think if you've done it for 40 years, yeah. you know, you can't do or undo all that in one month. Um, but it can just be easier to go, oh, I just can't be bothered to deal with it. I'll just take the pill because yeah. all the symptoms go away and I don't have to deal with it. Um, but, yeah, it's just scary that, like, once you, I think you start to learn more and learn more about your body and all this stuff, you're like, oh, God, I just don't want to do it anymore. Like, I knew that's what I was like. Um uh, actually, and that you just said something before about the endocrine disruptors, because I think a lot of women, they'll come into our program, they'll follow me and they'll start to change their nutrition and they'll stop training so much and they'll eat more. But I think that's a really important point. Women, and I used to say, I slathered on fake tan and dyed my hair. Like I've just let my natural hair color grow out now, dyed it for years and years, all of these toxic creams. And like, can you talk about that and how that affects your hormones it's such a big topic i mm. mean uh any it's 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 crazy because basically any product that's designed for women mm. pick one all of them you know <laughs> unless you're going it's it's a harsh statement but it's actually true unless you're going specifically for a natural line or a natural brand or something like that um then they're they all contain basically toxic shite for lack of a better word. And so what a xenoestrogen is, or, you know, we call, you know, we call endocrine disruptors and all these different things, but they, a xenoestrogen is a chemical that has a structure, a molecular structure that is similar enough to estrogen that it triggers our estrogen receptors, but because it's not estrogen, it can cause, you know, more significant effects. And so certainly that includes our beauty products. I mean, I used to go and buy the mangled body butter and all that. Kind Me of too. Stuff. If you want perfume, you strawberry, you're slathered yeah. in endocrine disruptors. Like it, and uh, so it, it includes all those kinds of products. The, the things you plug in your house. You know, these mm. days I go to someone. Well, maybe not 
these days, but before <laughs> you go to someone's house and like, it's, you know, just the, the plugins with all the smells and all of those kinds of things. Um, and also the household cleaning products, the laundry detergents, all those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. So in terms of the practical aspect of it, so if you are exposing yourself to all of these chemicals that are mimicking estrogen, then it can cause these estrogenic effects, you know, mm -hmm. like, why is it that some people are so sensitive to smells that it causes, causes them headaches, for example, right? And mm -hmm. there's all these different effects. And also period related issues, increased PMS symptoms, some women have, um, you know, increased pain or bleeding because mm -hmm. of these estrogenic effects, heavier periods. And uh, I should also mention, um, I was going to mention, and I, I lost my mm -hmm. train of mm -hmm. thought, but I'm because I thought the top endocrine disruptor is actually mm -hmm hormonal birth control <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> because like no matter how much body butter you slather on the body butter wasn't designed to stop you from ovulating yes 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 <laughs> so, so there's that oh now i remember it's mm. also period products should have a nod so if you're using mm -hmm. regular bleached dioxin filled sorry ladies tampons and things like that uh literally putting something in your vagina which is a very absorbent space so mm. there are women who switch from the regular pads and tampons to mm. organic or to menstrual cups, and they actually notice a difference in their period pain and mm. um, heaviness. So it's a big conversation. And a lot of women uh, who track their cycles will notice a significant improvement in some of those mm. PMS symptoms, some of those hormonal related issues just by cleaning up the, the products. Um, yeah. And it's a big, it's a big job. So <laughs> what I usually suggest, I mean, you want to think of this as a project. Uh, and I think a period of six months to a year is, is reasonable. Mm. Um, because if you think about your house, if you have a bunch of, like most of us have a lot of products in our house mm. and many of them have scents and dyes. And so it doesn't have to be that you have to buy magical specific brands that are really expensive. You can, you know, just switch to non-scented. So with laundry detergent, mm. like when your laundry detergent runs out, you can switch to like free. Mm. So um, and you're, you can look at your fabric softener, you can look at all that kind of stuff because they're all full of chemicals and start to switch to brands that don't have scents. Mm. Look at your cleaning products and all of the beauty products. That's a big topic as well. Shampoos, mm. conditioners, all that kind of stuff. But gradually you can make those changes. Mm. And sorry, I, cause I can talk about this all day. So I'll just make one mm. more point. Mm. Um, I think it's really important to say that it's not about this perfection. Like you're never going to get to this place where you're pure yeah <laughs> because even your house yeah. is you take you know you take everything out you because you can take this real far like rip out your carpets they off gas yeah. like right yeah. like how far do you want to take it like you know, get get rid of all the the non-stick pans right buy cast iron like we can take this far um but you still have to go outside and breathe air and so generally speaking when i'm working with clients the goal is just improvement you know just mm. it's to shift so that you're significantly reducing your exposure and we have to be reasonable because we still live in a toxic world. Mm, absolutely. I think you can just get so stressed about it too. And stress isn't helpful either. No. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> I think the gradual, that's what I did too, is just as things ran out, I changed changed over. And I mentioned to you, you know, we're creating this skincare line with my um, partner, Emma, with no nasties, which will be amazing when it's, it's taken us a long time. It's been about a bloody year and a half because it's just been so hard to cre create it. They bloody kept trying to put all this crap in it. And we're like, no, 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 we can't have that. But um, 
yeah, I hate to think about all the shit I used to. I look at, you know, you turn over the, some of the bottles and you think, like, the list is about this long and you're yeah. just like, perfumed who I used to. Oh, I know. And so I used to, like, spray myself in so much perfume. And now whenever I smell someone, I come near someone who's heaps of perfume. And I'm really like, it's, I don't know, I just, it's so strong now. Yeah. Um, and actually, Lisa, finally, can we talk about, because I just love liver. <laughs> <laughs> and I think it's so amazing. And I just was, when you were saying in your book, eat liver, I was like, oh, she's the best. Cause we recommend <laughs> all of our clients eat liver or take, you know, we talked about the um, freeze dried liver capsules that we do at Saturate. Cause some clients are just like, kitty, I just can't eat the liver. I'm like, just take the capsules. But it's something that I've done pretty much every week consistently since I started changing my diet. Cause I used to have, you know, tons of supplements, tons of multivitamins and yeah, liver is just one of the most incredible nutrient dense foods. So can you just talk more about liver and why you think it's so great? Yes. Yeah. I love liver and I talk about it a lot with my clients, especially as I mentioned, a lot of my clients are, are trying to conceive. A lot of my clients are also coming off hormonal birth control mm. and it just so happens that hormonal birth control depletes a lot of the specific nutrients we need when we're trying to have babies, particularly mm. B vitamins and number of other nutrients. And so, I mean, as you know, liver, or actually in the conversation we had before we hit record, I mentioned that I'm a curious kind of person. And so one mm. of the things that I've often thought about is, you know, where did people get their nutrients before whole foods, <laughs> before they could go to the store and buy vitamins and, you know, being inspired as well by the work of Weston A. Price. And, mm. you know, it's, it, it's interesting because then traditional cultures, they did eat organ meats, they ate the liver, and that's the, the most nutrient dense part of the food. So what I often do, and, and what I did in the book is I, you know, pull out a table. <laughs> so it's like comes to no surprise to any of my clients that I, I literally have a handout that's called the liver handout where I have the, the table that lists, uh, you know, liver beside kale beside chicken, and just show you for even beside, uh, like, so beef liver beside beef. So you can see the difference. Mm. So uh, with liver, for instance, it's a significant source of vitamin A, which is mm. crucial for hormone production. It's also crucial for fertility and fetal development um, to the point that you wonder if it's a vitamin, is it a hormone? Like what is vitamin A? Because of all mm. the things that it's involved in. So for anyone who doesn't know, when you're trying to make babies, vitamin A is responsible for building the baby's eyes, ears, lungs. It plays, uh, and also the heart development. And it's just, it's, it's, it's essential. And as a, as a woman, if you are planning to have babies or if you're reproductive age, I mean, you could say this about basically any nutrient, but when you are pregnant and lactating, that is the time in your life when you actually have the highest requirement of these mm. nutrients. And the only significant source is vitamin A. And of course, vitamin A from liver is not the same as beta carotene from carrots. Mm. And so uh, you can't get vitamin A from a carrot or kale you mm. have to get it from animal foods. So, you know, even from that perspective, because liver is an excellent source of vitamin A, you don't even have to eat a lot of it to get it. Mm. So that's one thing that I think is really important. And of course, you know, vitamin B12. Um, actually, I feel I don't know if I have, I'm not very good at finding things on the fly. But I feel like pulling out <laughs> the thing. Um, so if I can't find it in a second here, then mm. actually, I think it's in here. I really like it that you mentioned about the beta carotenes. I think a lot of, and I used to think this too, is that, oh, no, but I'm getting um, vitamin A in beta carotene, but women don't realize that that's not the usable form of vitamin A, you know, and they. And we are very terrible at mm. uh, converting it. Mm. So 
there's a certain degree that we can convert from beta carotene, but you're not converting enough to actually mm. get it. And so, you know, certainly that's a nutrient of concern, particularly for everybody, because most mm. people aren't eating liver, but mm. particularly for those who don't eat any animal foods, because you can mm. get some vitamin A from eggs and from butter and other, mm. um, you know, animal fats. But just to kind of put it into perspective, so even if you eat red meat, mm. so you get like 25 times more folate from liver. And it's interesting because people don't think of liver as a source of folate mm. and folate is not folic acid. Folate is the usable form that is found in nature that your body can actually absorb. Mm. So um, an excellent source of, of folate, iron, three and a half times, according to my handy table, compared to eating beef. So of course you're getting iron from beef, but a significant high, a significantly higher amount from um, from liver and one more B12. Mm. So 35 times more B12 in beef liver than in red meat. Mm. It's incredible, so isn't it? Significant. It is. It's <laughs> so amazing. You think too, like, um, and we talked about this before we started the podcast, but, um, and I actually did a podcast on pregnancy with my business partner a few weeks ago and talking about the misconception women, you know, that instead of eating liver when they're pregnant, they take all these bloody multivitamins, prenatal multivitamins, and how they're so scared to eat this beautiful nutrient-dense food. Yeah, I mean, it's, um, and, and the irony of that too is that, uh, so when you're pregnant, there's a lot of studies that have been done. I, I cited one that was, mm. you're talking about iron specifically. And if my memory serves me, it was about, you know, of all the women that they studied, it was about 20% went into pregnancy with sufficient iron stores. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, so first of all, most of us are starting at a deficit from that perspective. And then the requirements for iron. So there's a combination of the stores that you have going in plus the daily consumption. And uh, for anyone who has been pregnant, if you have had your iron checked throughout pregnancy, I mean, I know both times I was pregnant in the third trimester was when the iron dipped, even though I ate liver pretty regularly, you know? And so it's, 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 it's something where if you're not eating liver, where are you getting sufficient iron to make this baby, you know? Um, and certainly, I mean, we can get into a conversation about that. Like it's, it's a kind of a complex issue because there's a, all of the information out there, you know, tells you that liver is dangerous when you're pregnant because it contains vitamin A. Mm -hmm. And they tell you that vitamin A retinol is going to cause birth defects. And so, uh, you know, I do encourage you to, you know, do the research and things like that. And I certainly talk about this in chapter 17 of the book as well. And I cite some sources, but what's interesting is that, you know, there's a, an association between taking a high amount of synthetic vitamin A mm -hmm. uh, and there's a, with birth defects. And there's a lot of reasons why people may be taking high dose of synthetic vitamin A. So one example of that would be like Accutane, like when you're mm -hmm. taking um, a high amount of synthetic vitamin A for another condition. So in this case, it would be acne. And so if a woman is taking a high dose of synthetic vitamin A for another reason, and she becomes pregnant, then she's at a much higher risk of having birth defects because that synthetic vitamin A causes your body to produce these metabolites that are harmful, that uh, they're teratogenic. So meaning that they have the effect of, of, of birth, or they cause birth defects. And with the, the one thing is when you look in the literature, there isn't evidence that the vitamin A from food. So when cult cultures that eat 
a lot of liver, you know, when they study these different cultures where they regularly consume high amounts of liver, there's no record of, you know, birth defects from the actual food. Mm -hmm. So uh, actually when they study pregnant women or when they do these, like when you look at the research, women who are pregnant are more likely to be deficient Mm -hmm. in vitamin A than they would be getting too much because we're not really eating any liver. Um, and there's risks of being deficient in vitamin A. As I mentioned, vitamin A is crucial for lung development, heart mm-hmm. development, mm-hmm. eyes, ears. And there's plenty of animal studies that show that vitamin A deficient diets cause, you know, there's this one study I was looking at in rats. And when they deprived the, um, when they deprived the mothers of vitamin A, the babies were born blind mm-hmm. um, or with no eyes like the, mm-hmm. you know, so it's, it's essential. Um, so certainly there's an argument to be made for at very least, if you are planning ahead for pregnancy, making sure that you're consuming, you know, a significant amount of liver when you're not pregnant (laughs) so that you can build your stores. Mm -hmm. And then throughout pregnancy, there's an argument to be made for, you know, having a moderate amount. You know, what I always say is like, no one's eating 60 pounds of it. Like (laughs) you consume, you know, liver once or twice a week or once every other week, Mm -hmm. then you're, and you know, you're obviously not eating, you know, if you have some pate or you have, you know, you, Mm -hmm. you you know, take it in one way or another, but, uh, but you're really getting those nutrient stores to where they need to be. Um, yeah, it's awesome. Really important. Yeah. 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 Cause we, some will get questions like they'll email Emma on our website about the taking the, um, the liver capsules. I mean, I don't, we work more with women who are wanting to sort of get healthy and, you know, lose body fat and tone up in a healthy, sustainable way. And they often have a lot of metabolic issues like me, I said, from all the years of dieting, but we, yeah, it's just, it's so incredible. Like all of the, there's so much misinformation out there. It's really hard. Like I can see how women would get so confused. Like I used to be so, so confused because you're just doing everything that all this fitness industry says, like, oh, fast in the morning and, you know, do fasted cardio, which is just so, um, terrible for us and our hormones um but oh lisa that was so so great thank you so much for coming on i just i feel like we covered um so much information and uh what i'm going to do is obviously drop the link below to your site and your um instagram page and i highly recommend lisa's book um the fifth vital sign if you haven't read it it read it it's got so much great um great information yeah that was really awesome thank you so much well, thank you so much for having me. It's been my pleasure. And um, I'm, I mean, I'm thrilled to hear the the wonderful work that you're doing, mm-hmm. supporting women, because I feel like, and, and we both know we need it. We need mm-hmm. the support uh, to be able to kind of find that balance. Like we do want to be vibrant. We want to have the body that we want. We want to have optimal health. Mm-hmm. Um, but we can't always find that, you know, depending on, I, I just did a, a podcast episode not so long ago about the the negative effects of following male influencers and trying to do the things that they recommend because it doesn't always work for our physiology. And at the end of the day, we just need to find out what does, right? What is going to work mm. for us? Well, I think, you know, like I, because before I found my partner, Craig, he's like right into strength training. And before I found him, I just used to do heaps of cardio and sort of circuit type workouts. And then I met him and I met Emma at the same time and found this Ray Pete. And, you know, I really fell in love with strength training, but I cut my training right back. So now I just train three days a week. And I eat a ton of food and now I look better and feel better than I did before doing all that stuff. So I think women like in an analogy that I try and use, it's like stop destroying the body you have with restrictive diets and cardio and start building the body you want with like real food and strength training because you can 
be healthy and eat lots of food and be strong and and have a normal cycle. You don't have to starve yourself. It's like actually the opposite, I think. Um, and but I guess you just it's hard when, like you say, you're following male fitness influences, but even female ones, you know, that yeah, don't eat it, like you know, ones. they're eating like eight sixteen hundred calories, training five days a week strength training, heavy strength training, doing cardio. It's like, that's just not enough to support your body. Um, But again, like striving, I think for those unrealistic body goals. And I think that's why I talked about the fat um, percentage. And I really like what you're saying, you know, because we say that too. We're like, well, because we also get women who are, have high body fat percentages who suffer from painful and irregular cycles. So it's not necessarily a body fat thing, but I do see it more and more with women who are really lean, you know, like they're just, or they're trying to improve their cycle. I've had some conversations with women. We run these challenges. They're just four weeks where we teach women about food and training. And she said, oh, I've done all these things, but I've still got this irregular cycle. And she's a fitness competitor. And she's like, I'm sitting at 20% body fat. I'm like, bring your body fat up. Like eat, you need to eat more food and stop. Like, what's your goal? Do you want to be lean or do you want to have a regular cycle? And do you want to feel better? And I said, because you're trying to do two different things. You've got these competing goals. Um, but it's hard. Like, you know, when everywhere you look in the fitness industries, everyone's so lean and small and and skinny. So it's, yeah, it's yeah, hard. I, just, I love the way you talk about it. And for, I think, because, because women are coming to me for menstrual cycle um, stuff. It's, mm. it's a little different. I don't think I, I know, I'm not their trainer, right? So I don't mm. really need to be providing them with those specific numbers, but I can see how it's incredibly useful and helpful to mm. mesh that with the, the knowledge about the cycle in the work that you do. Mm. When you're training, you need to know your, you know, mm. like your percent body fat and you need to have goals and targets depending on if you're competing and all those kinds of things. So mm. um, it is important and also very helpful for her not to go to a, you know, profession, like medical professional. Oh, that's fine. Versus yeah, just, saying, no, no. What we've seen is yeah. that if you want to have a regular cycle, you it needs to be in this range. And I, I, I really mm. love that. Mm. And I think too, like, I mean, I even noticed myself when I, cause I love heavy strength trainings. I just have to eat so much food, you know, uh-huh. to like feel good and, and sleep. If I don't eat enough carbs, I just don't sleep full stop, you know, I just wake up, you know, in the night and I just, no, I notice it too, you know, it's just, it really, I think women underestimate how taxing and stressful like that is on your body and how much you actually need to fuel it to cope with that stress. Well, and I just feel like, because I, I mean, we could, you and I obviously can riff, but when you described what you were doing, you, it, to me, it sounds like you're working with your hormones. Uh, a long time ago, I did this interview with Dr. Dennis Wilson and he, talked about this whole concept of the difference between you know steady state exercises you know very Mm. well and then the hit Mm. exercise and so I'm sure Mm. there's a conversation we had there but Mm. he talked about the reason why because you know it as well as I know it there's plenty of women that do the cardio and they just do the straight cardio they do 30 Mm. minutes or an hour every day Mm. and initially they lose weight but then they start gaining it right Mm. so he talks about why and it's because you're actually even though you feel like it's reducing your stress it's actually raising your cortisol (laughs) absolutely feels like yeah so literally what you're describing is working with your body working with your hormones Mm. actually so you do less but the results are amazing because you're not working against yourself so i feel like we're talking the same language just through different lenses oh absolutely yeah and just it's like build be building instead of stripping i think you constantly 
like I always, I always think that it made so much sense to me. Craig's like, oh, why don't you build more muscle so that you can just burn more fat at rest instead of always <laughs> trying to train to burn off calories. So I was like, oh, I've got to train for an hour and burn this many calories. Whereas now, you know, I train the least I ever have and I've got lots more muscle and I can eat, and eat more food and maintain a leaner physique. I'm not super lean, but without, you know, um, without doing, I mean, I just walk my dog Winston in the sun and then I just do my strength training. And I think too, like a lot of women, I was trying to say to them, stop, you know, stop trying to focus on lowering your body fat and just get stronger. Like you're just going to be better with some more muscle on you. Like you're just going to look better. Trust me. If you can, like, even if you get your body fats 25 to 30%, that's healthy. And then you build some good, get strong, build some decent muscle. You're going to be happy with how you look and you're not going to have to do all this crazy stuff and you're going to be able to eat more food. And you're just going to be heaps happier. But I think again, it's like building muscle is a slow process. Like it's not a quick fix. And I think we're so conditioned to like, you know, and sometimes women will gain weight or stay the same weight, but the centimeters will go down, you know, because they're putting muscle on and losing body fat. And again, it's this whole, I don't know. And I was the same. I used to just have this 62 kilos under was always what I had to be. And if it went, and I'm like 70 kilos now, if I, you know, was over 62 kilos, the world was ending, which is just like, you look back now and you think, oh, like, it's just crazy. But I think so many women who listen to this can relate. Yeah. It's just, and I've, I've heard a lot of that, you know, I, I've worked with women who finally gained their period back. And to me, right. To my eyes, they mm. were very, very slim, but to them, because they had to gain 30 pounds to get to that slim size, they're not necessarily happy with what they see. Nah. The world thinks they're really skinny, but they yes. don't necessarily see it that way. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I can remember being at my leanest and smallest and I was just miserable, hungry, tired, Terrible periods, no sex drive, hair was falling out. <laughs> it's not a way to live. Yeah, yeah, it's it's hard. I think what you're, I, I think it's all we can do really is you can kind of be there, you can witness for and 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 give hope. Mm. And that's why I like to focus on the menstrual cycle, you know, mm. because again, Instagram is kind of destroying everyone's life. Like, so if your feed is full of these lean women who like, you know, look like they belong on a, I don't know, like a television show somewhere, you yeah. should probably unfollow them. Like yeah. my feed, I, I, my feed doesn't look like that. There's yeah. probably more like live birth pictures <laughs> on my feed. Like, uh, oh. But like the feed can be toxic. And what I always say, literally, mm. and I mean this. <laughs> is that those women who look like that their cycles are not healthy yeah because they don't seen them yeah they don't they don't talk <laughs> about they don't talk about it like I remember no. one of our old coaches she doesn't work for us anymore but she used to compete in like one of the big fitness federations WBFF and she came over to a house one day and she was talking about like one of this top fitness models and she just been doing some posing with her and she was like, oh, I haven't eaten all day. And she's like, why? And she's like, oh, I binged yesterday. So I'm fasting all day to make up for it. Just stuff like that that you don't, they don't talk about. Like you say, they don't talk about their cycles are irregular or, you know, they've got these digestive issues or bloating or the, you know, it's just, it's look at me. I look healthy that really what's going on underneath the surface, which is a shame because I think it makes women strive for something that's really unrealistic. Yeah. 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 And we could talk about. All day we could talk about. Fasting. Oh my goodness. So, no. but yeah, like all I can say about fast, because I'll try to make it brief mm. because it's its own topic. Yeah. Um, 
but what I'll say is women are not small men. There's a lot of men that do really, really well with fasting. And mm. so the type of fasting that I've heard a lot of men talk about is mm. either you have, you, you know, skip breakfast, right? That's something mm. I hear a lot, like just skip breakfast or go one meal a day or, mm. um, you know, skip a couple of days, like, you know, and a lot of men can do those things. And it mm. really, like, it's incredible. You can watch men get cut by yeah. really doing those types of things. What happens when women do those kinds of things, skipping breakfast, you know, having one meal a day or trying to squeeze all their meals into like six hours, then you, what happens is menstrual cycle disruption and hormone replace, like you, you get tired and it kind of mm. like, this is, this is what happens. So, mm. um, I mean, prove me wrong, please. I'm, I'm happy. I'm happy, <laughs> but, but what, this is not what I see. And so, um, my idea of fasting for women sleeping is <laughs> when you well, sleep, yeah. <laughs> Well, my idea of fasting, yes, basically it's three meals a day. If you want to fast, make sure each meal contains sufficient protein, fat, and carbs. And okay. if you, like, if, if it does, then you can mm. go and like not eat between meals, but three meals. Um, and then a minimum of an eight hour window, preferably 10. Mm. That's my idea of fasting for women. Yeah. I just think I'm like, just don't fast. I, I did every well, protocol that. of fasting <laughs> for a year. Like I I'm tried to give, I'm trying to give a little, I'm like, yeah, yeah. I'm like, nah, broaden no fasting. The definition. Yeah. but you're, but yes, I support you. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, look, the only time you should be fasting is when you sleep from 8 PM to whenever you get up and then eat your bloody breakfast. But yeah, we could go on about it. And I look, I also feel like for a lot, I always was doing things because I was like into the health side of it, but really what I was doing, it was for was the weight loss and to be skinny and it was like okay what what is the diet that I can maintain to maintain my weight really and then I was happy but I would d disguise it as oh it's healthy fasting is healthy when you like you say it's it's another whole topic but ladies just please don't fast just eat the food nour nourish your body I know think of me as like a West Indian grandmother <laughs> pick pick an ethnicity eat 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 <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so good. Oh, well, thanks so much, Lisa. Sorry, I'm just holding up. I just feel like we could talk for hours. But, oh, guys, go and follow Lisa on Instagram. Buy her book. It is amazing. It's just got so much great information. And, yeah, just can you please eat the food? <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks so much for having me. It's been my pleasure. Thanks so much, Lisa. Bye. Bye.